All right. Well, good morning, Doxa. Merry Christmas. I can say that now. We're close enough, right? This makes sense? Yeah? Okay. Well, man, I'm just really excited about today. Glad you guys are so here. Or so here. So glad to see you guys here. I'm so excited I can't even talk. But guys, man, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here if this is your first time, if you're visiting. And, and man, we're, we're excited about today because today's Christmas, right? And, and I'm glad that you guys got the opportunity to see the, the next generation up here. We're, we're a church for the city in the campus of, of UW, and, and we love the next generation. We, we love to invest and build into the next generation, believing that the next generation is going to be leading this world, and, and Jesus, if he can intervene in their lives, we have a hope to, to push the gospel forward and, and see the restoration uh, of all things. And even as I was watching these little kids, I have two of them up here. I don't know if you saw that little guy with the bow tie in the front that just looked angry. That's, that's one of mine, okay? So I say that to say, like, oh, you're looking at me, and you're like, he must have, like, perfect kids. He's a pastor. No, I have great kids, not perfect. And they were the ones on the screen that said, what's Christmas all about? It's about ornaments, right? <laughs> I got some work to do, okay? So you can, you can pray for, for me. They should be in here. I should get my wife to bring them back in here, right, and listen to this. But, uh, man... We're, we're really excited about today. When it, when it comes to Christmas, guys, I want you to know that uh, Christmas is, is really, there's three ways to view it for every single one of us. That, that Christmas for, for everyone, it either revolves around the season, the stuff, or the Savior. And, and really, depending on your view of Christmas, this is going to drive not just your, your level of excitement during the Christmas season, but it's, it's really going to drive your understanding and really the direction of your entire life. And, and here at Doxa, we believe that, that Christmas is all about the Savior, which really makes it all about Jesus. And, and when we talk about Jesus, guys, we're, we're talking about the most significant person who has ever lived in the history of the world. I mean, if you, if you really think about this, okay, in, in less than a month from now, we're going to start writing the date 2019 on all of our documents and in all of our checks. And as, as we do this, every time we write that date, what are we doing? We're, we're referencing a calendar which measures time based upon Jesus's birth and his death. That time literally divides into BC, meaning before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, meaning the year of our Lord. And in just a week, billions of people, guys, around the world, are gonna stop their normal activities, they're gonna close down their businesses for a few days, and they're gonna worship Jesus as God. And as we do this, guys, we're, and we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna sing these Christmas songs, all of which have its origin, their origins, in who Jesus was, his, his birth. And with this, guys, the question has to be, like, why? I mean, doesn't it just, like, it just amazes me to think that something happened over 2,000 years ago that still has such a profound impact on our world today. But you have to ask that question. We, we ask questions as we, as we gather, as we get into the Bible, of, like, why is, is Christmas so special? What is such a big deal? And, and if, if you've asked that question and you've had a conversation around that question, honestly, the answer to that question varies from person to person. But what we're going to see today, guys, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, which we're taking a better part of a year to get through, is a song. It's a song that the mother of Jesus sings. And as she sings this song, we get some significant insight into what Christmas is all about. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Because if you don't have a Bible and you're, and you're new, you're checking out Doxa, we'd love to give you one on your way out. You can check at the, the welcome table out back, and we'd love to give you a Bible. Because this is part of what we do as a Doxa family, is we, we gather. And we gather together, and we gather around the Gospel. And the way that we do that is we open up the Bible, and we let God speak to us and wrestle with what do we do with what we just heard. And so as you're getting to, to Luke, chapter 1, okay, I'll say this. As we, as we look at this song that Mary, who, the, who is the mother of Jesus, sang about him, we're going to discover that 
that there's so much about God that we can learn. All right, we get this beautiful picture of what God is like and what Jesus is all about. And guys, here is why this is so important. All right, many people, okay, even, even Christians from time to time, we have a, a very malnourished understanding of who God really is. Some of you, you more than others, okay? That none of us in our finiteness is, is completely able to comprehend and define all that God is. The, the great theologian Donald Blesch, he, he said it well, and he said that the minute that we can completely understand God, he ceases to be God. Because in our finiteness, we, we can't fully understand who he is, but we get this beautiful picture here as we open up the Bible. But our brokenness, we need to understand this. We talk about this a lot. Weakness is one of our core values here. In our brokenness, in our sinfulness, guys, we oftentimes live our lives and we forget who God is. And why this is significant is here's what happens. Because when we have an inadequate view of who God is, it, it leads us to live our lives and see the world around us in a really distorted way. Because here's the thing, many of our views of God and I want to submit to you that this is true for you as well, is many of our views of God today have been, have been shaped by or distorted by or formed by the people around you, the experiences you have, and the culture that we live in. So much so that in a city like ours, right, you can go out and you can say the name Jesus, right, and everybody that you talk to is going to have a thought of who he is. But the question that we have to ask is, is how do we know what's true, right? I mean, how do, we, how do we come to the point of being able to ask the question that we ask at, at Christmas and know the, know the true statement about what child is this? I mean, how do we actually know what is true? And I'll, and I'll submit to you that there's really only three places that we can look to gather insight into the identity of this child, into the identity of Jesus. That we can look internal, external, or eternal. Those are the three options. And so for some of you, you have like this internal perspective, all right? For you, it's like, well, okay, I don't really know what, I don't really understand Jesus and it doesn't make sense to me, but this is how I feel. And you derive your own sense of truth because you become your highest level of authority and you say, well, this is who Jesus is to me. He's not necessarily God, but he was a cute baby and I can get that and all this stuff. And it's an internal thing that you decide who Jesus is. Others of you, you're going to look externally to your friends, to your family, to society, to culture, and you're going to look around you and you're going to kind of say, okay, what is like the greater mass of people saying about Jesus? Whatever they say externally all around me, I guess that's what I'll go because I'm just going to go with the, the rhythm. I'm going to go with the flow and, and I'll find that truth with me. As Christians, we don't really have a choice. We look in eternally. We don't necessarily look internally or externally, but we look eternally. And here in Luke's gospel, we're given a glimpse of God from an eternal perspective, meaning that it comes from God. Because I want you to know that as you're holding this book in your hand, all, right, all the words of the Bible are not only about God, but they're from God and they're for our good so that we could see his glory. This is the truth of what we gather around. And starting in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, Mary, Jesus' mother, she sings this song describing the child that she has conceived, Jesus. And guys, she's going to sing and she's going to worship. And as she sings and she worships, we get to learn about who God is and we get to learn about the identity of Jesus. And I want you to hear this, guys. When we understand this, when we truly understand who God is and we get this picture, it will move us just like Mary. It will move us to worship, wonder, awe, and praise. 
and it will help to prepare our hearts for what Christmas is all about, okay? So let's just read this. We'll read this song. I'm not going to sing it because that would be awkward, okay? But I'm going to read this song, and then we're going to get into understanding it and applying it into our lives, okay? So Luke chapter 1, verse 46 is where we're going to start. And Mary said, okay, she's singing. This is her song that she wrote. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of, her, of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to the, his offspring forever. So this is Mary's song. And guys, here's what's going on, okay? Mary, we need to understand a little bit about her, okay? She's just this common, humble, likely poor teenage girl who's significant in the story of God. She's significant in the history of our world. And Mary's story actually doesn't start here in Luke's gospel. You might think, well, this is the first time that we, we see Mary come on the stage of history is in Luke's gospel. But really, Mary's story starts in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. All right, hundreds of years before she was even born. In Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet Isaiah revealed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that a virgin, a young unmarried woman, would give birth to a child. She would give birth to a son, and his name would be Emmanuel. We sing that in Christmas songs. Emmanuel literally just means God with us. Okay? Now, here's what happens. After Isaiah prophesies this, all right, there was just this long stretch of time. Hundreds of years passed by, and people around that heard Isaiah talk, they begin to think, okay, what's going on? Is this guy, was he just like just some lunatic on the side of the street that someone gave a microphone and he just was saying gibberish? Like, because nothing is happening. They're saying, okay, where is this woman? Where is this virgin? Where is this, where is this guy, this Emmanuel guy? We don't see anything. And they start to ask these questions. But we see last week, as we looked at the first part of chapter one of Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel shows up right, kind of out of the blue, but he shows up in a way that fulfills this prophecy that happened hundreds of years before. And what he does is he shows up, he speaks to Mary, and he tells her, you've been chosen by God, and you're going to be the promised mother of Emmanuel, God with us. And, and, and if you remember, I love Mary's response, right? If you look back earlier into chapter one, you can see her response, that she, she believes, she has faith, she trusts God, but she also has questions. And so she asks, she's like, how can this be? I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a virgin, right? And she's talking, the way I see this going down in my head is like, she's talking to this angel and she's like, I don't know how you, if you know like the physiology of the human body, like, I don't know if God's had that conversation with you, but this is awkward for me. I don't want to tell you like, so go back to heaven, talk to God and then come back, right? She's like, I'm a virgin, but what does Gabriel say? Gabriel says it's going to be a miracle that God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, will enable you to conceive a child, and you will give birth to Jesus. Now, it's important to note, guys, that this isn't just God doing a miracle for the sake of doing a miracle. But what this is, it's an announcement. It's, it's pointing to a rescue mission that our God has. Because what Isaiah is saying here is that God is going to enter into human history. He's going to become a person to identify with us, and he would ultimately become our mediator. 
who would reconnect us back to God. And so guys, I say all of this to say, this is how you need to understand Christmas. This is the reality of which we live in. This is Christmas. And Mary, through the grace of God, she, she had an awareness of this and she sings this beautiful song and she worships as a response to this announcement that Jesus is here. Emmanuel, God with us, is here. And as she sings, we can learn so much about who God is, of which we're going to look at a few today. And this is the first thing she says. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Mary is singing about God as her Savior. Look back to verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. I want you to circle magnifies the Lord in your Bible. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Circle Savior. Because why? Because he's looked at the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. All right? And when she says that her, her soul magnifies the Lord, here's what this means. Okay? If you look up the definition of, of magnify, part of the definition is to cause to seem greater, or to cause to seem more important than it actually is, or to intensify something. This is not what Mary is doing. All right? Because we don't magnify God by making him bigger than he truly is but by making him greater in our thoughts, greater in our lives, greater in our affections, greater in our memories, greater in our expectations of who he actually is. This is how we magnify God. We magnify God by having a higher and larger and truer thought of who he actually is. Guys, and the only way for us to do that is to actually see God for who he is. And so my goal as we open up the Bible today is to really help us with this so we can encounter God in such a way that we begin to magnify him that he becomes larger in our life. Our view of him becomes greater and gives him the honor and the glory that he actually deserves. Because I want you to consider this, guys. Look back at that, at verse 46. How is Mary magnifying God here? Because she starts by reminding herself that God is the Savior. All right, that Mary starts singing as she admits her brokenness and her sinfulness and her need for help. And it's worth noting here Right? This, is, this song is called the Magnificat, right? and it's a song that is, has been sung and, and taught through and, and, and all of these different things for, for many, many years. And some people would even tell you that Mary was this perfect, sinless person. And what this does is when we have this thought of Mary, it leads us to, to really a, a type of theology that's called Mariology. And Mariology is just the exaltation and the worship of Mary, as something higher than just a person. But, and, and it leads to us even just praying to her and worshiping her in such a way. But really, we, we should not be doing this. Because why? Because Mary notes here herself, as she sings this song, she notes that she's needing a savior. Right, that for Mary, like all of us, she was just a person who was wrecked with sin and desperately needed a savior. She needed someone to rescue her, deliver her, be the hero of her life. And guys, I'll say this. I really believe that this is where our ability to magnify God and truly sing and worship begins. With the truth and the reality in our lives that Jesus is Savior. This is where worship begins. And this, guys, is where Christianity differs from a lot of other world religions and worldviews that really, apart from Christianity, all other religions have, have really one thing in common, that God is not the Savior. All right, that, that really, in other, all other worldviews, if you, if you think about it and study it, that you are either your own Savior or there is no Savior at all. But in Christianity, thankfully, guys, it's not about us because it's all about Jesus, that God is the hero, the Redeemer, the Savior, 
And this is good news for all people because it gives us hope because, guys, I want you to hear this. It's not about what we do. It's not about who, how good we are and who we believe we think we should be and all this stuff. It's not about that. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. It, think about it like this. How many of you when, you, when you watch a movie and it's depicting like injustice and violence and, and all this stuff, there's bad things happening, there's suffering, there's death, and then all of a sudden the hero comes on the scene, right? And we all are kind of like, all right, it's about to go down, right? We like this. We, we like this story. Like, am I the only one, right? We like a hero story? Okay, yeah, we do like that. Okay, just making sure. Right, we, we like these type of rescue stories. This is why when we see a, a man stand up for his girl and protect her and rescue her, like the guys are in here like, yes, I need to do that for a woman, right? And the girls are like, I wish someone would do that for me, right? We, we like that idea of a rescue. This is why when we see news reports of like countries that have enslaved people who are oppressed and beaten down and we see them be liberated, we rejoice, we celebrate. We, we love a rescue story. When we see broken Households and abused and neglected kids get rescued through the adoption process. There's just something in us that says that's so right, and we love it. Guys, here's what you need to know. The Bible is God's story of human history and his involvement in it as the hero on a rescue mission, that he's the Savior. And ultimately, what Mary knows is that her Savior is going to be her son, that Jesus will be born, he will live a life without sin. He will die for her sins. He will raise for her salvation. And her son will be her savior. And at the foot of the cross, when Jesus is dying, Mary is there at the foot of the cross, looking up and beholding her son and realizing in full that her son is her savior. And it changes everything. But this isn't just a Mary thing, all right? This is, this is a you and me thing, all right? Because every single one of us, guys, every person needs a savior, that every, every single one of us, guys, we're, we're, we're affected by sin. And the very nature of sin is sin is anything and everything that separates us from God. It's anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And, and sin separates. And this is the state that we, we live in. And if this continues unmediated, unreconciled for the duration of our life, this is where we get into the terrible conscious reality of, of eternal separation from God. But I want you to hear this. In the Bible, there's two great words, but God. But God intervenes and Jesus changes the script for every single one of us. And for some of you, guys, your first step in magnifying God in your life and singing like Mary is to experience God as Savior by coming to Jesus today. All right, that maybe you're here and this is one of the first times that you even really considered God as a Savior and you're actually looking at him and you're seeing him for maybe one of the first times as this. I want you to know that you're beginning to magnify God, that he's becoming greater in your eyes. And the heart cry of God, a father who, who loves us, is that you begin to see him as not just the Savior, but your Savior. All right, because there's a big difference between examining and experiencing God as Savior. That we can, some of you, you've been in church for, for years. Some of you, you've been coming around Doxa for a while now since we launched, and, and you come to church and you, you hear the Bible preached, and, and, and as it's preached, you, you're examining the grace of God. You're examining the fact that God is Savior. You're getting facts. You're getting knowledge, but you haven't yet experienced God as your Savior because you haven't taken a step of faith and come to Jesus and said, here's my brokenness. And God has brought you here just to, so you can examine and then move towards experiencing the grace of, of God.
And for those of you who are Christians, right, you, you have experienced God as, as your Savior, and the temptation for you will be to sit here and to think, okay, I know this. I know that God is my Savior. I, I understand the gospel. I, I, I need something more. I need, to, I need to be taught a little bit more. I, I, tell me something about like spiritual gifts or systematic theology or something like that so that I can, I need to be edified, right? And I need to be taught something more significant. But let me just press you a little bit if you're, if you're thinking about that like that. All right, because the minute that you start to think that the statement, Jesus is Savior, is this elementary or mundane thing, it's the minute that you lose your ability to truly sing and worship like Mary does. It starts with Savior. Because it doesn't really matter how Christian you think you are and how long you've known and loved Jesus as your Savior because you never outgrow the gospel. It's the starting line. It's the track that you run on. It's the finish line that you run towards. The gospel of Jesus, his Savior, is what it's all about. And so for you, if you're a Christian, let this song today be just a remembrance of you that you can preach the gospel to yourself as you're listening to Mary sing and that worship and wonder and awe would just sweep over you in such a way that you would truly be able to sing like her today and remind yourself of that. Now, look back to verse 48. And I, and I love this, okay? Mary shares this, this awesome theological truth that God is Savior, and then she moves on and she, she continues singing. She says in verse 48, look at this, for behold, from now on, I want you to circle from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Guys, you need to know what this means for you, because this is really just a reoccurring theme in the Gospel of Luke and even into his second work in Acts. All right, because Luke, as he writes this Gospel account, he loves to note how God's activity in our life as Savior changes everything from now on. We look at places like Luke chapter 5, chapter 12, chapter 22, even into Acts chapter 18. And, and Luke says that when Jesus enters the picture, from now on, everything is different in your life. This is what God does. Changes everything from now on. And Mary recognized that what God was doing in her life as Savior would have a profound impact in the world around her in the future generations that would come after her. And you need to know that. We need to be reminded of that, guys, that as you come to Jesus in faith and allow him to save you from your sin and save you from yourself, this will affect everything and everyone around you and after you. It'll affect your family. Some of you parents, right, we have kids and we're like, what do we want to do? We want to give our kids a better life. I want to propose to you that it's not about giving them more stuff or making sure that they have an inheritance when you die or giving them the best schools and, and all that stuff and giving them anything like that. The best thing that you can do for them is give them the Savior because this will change everything. It will change their families, their future families, giving them the Savior, your neighborhood, your neighbors, your, your coworkers. It's not just about you making sure that your leaves are not blowing into their yard and that's not how you'd be the best neighbor possible. It's not that you just show on time for work. You should be doing all that stuff. But the most significant thing that you can do is live out the Savior in your life and showing them and giving them the Savior. This is how the gospel moves. It's by people who have been profoundly and radically impacted by the love of God, the, the love of God as Savior who go out and live like and for Jesus in such a way that everybody looks and says, what is that about? And then we simply just open our mouth and point to God and say, there it is, Jesus is Savior. 
This is how the gospel moves. It will affect everything from now on. Well, let's keep going. Okay, so Mary's ability to sing and worship begins with her recognition that not only does she need a Savior, but she has a Savior in her son. But then look at verse 49. She moves on to say this, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I want you to circle holy. And his mercy, circle mercy, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength. I want you to also circle strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. Now, here's what I think this does for us here. I think this shows us something about the way humanity differs from God. And this might come to a shock to, to some of you, all right? but God is God, and you are not. We are not. Are we on the same page? That's something, one of those things that we can shake our head and be like, sure, I understand that. God is God and I'm not. But here's why we even have to say that is because we collectively, in this city, in this country, we are a prideful group of people. We just are. I am, you are, everybody is. We think too much of ourselves and too often of ourselves. But God opposes the proud. And pride is something that will keep you from God. Because what it does is when we're prideful, we are focusing on ourselves, and we're not focusing on our Savior. And we begin to think that it's all about me, but the reality is it's not about us. It's about Jesus, who Mary says is holy and merciful and strong. All right, notice Mary's focus in all this. Look back. She doesn't say the mighty one has done great works for me. Holy is my name, right? She doesn't say that. She says, holy is his name, that you always find Mary looking at Jesus, that she's humble, and she realizes that she's not this great woman, but she's just a broken woman who needs a savior. And she sees God as who he really is. He's holy, he's perfect, he's set aside, he's different. And she's humbled and she worships the only one who deserves to be worshiped, and it's him. And so she goes on in verse 50, take a look at this. She's mentioning God's holiness, but then in verse 50, she mention, mentions God's mercy. And, and mercy is a word that you see throughout the Bible, but it speaks to God's commitment to his promise. And, it, and it's expressive in God's covenantal love for us, his steady, his persistent love that refuses to give up on us when we live our lives in opposition to who he is and what he says. All right, that God is still there. Mercy is something that shows us that God takes the initiative in our life to rescue us. See, guys, on our own, we would never choose God. Because all of us, we're, we're just so broken that, that we're affected, completely affected by sin. We're just wrecked and broken. But God is so merciful and he's so loving and he's so good that even when we don't know that we need a savior, even though when we don't know that we need to be rescued, he steps in and he reveals himself to us. Because that is why you're here. I mean, really, I really believe from like a theological perspective that you're not here on your own volition, but you're here because God in his mercy has brought you here to be confronted with his radical love and his patience for you. That you would see his glory, that you would come to the Savior. I mean, it's as the prophet Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, he says, great is your faithfulness. God is so faithful. And Mary's feelings are, are clear to us here that God owes her nothing but she's given him everything. 
I mean, even choosing Mary, guys, was, was an act of mercy on God's part. That he could have come and he could have chosen this rich, noble, powerful queen to give birth to Emmanuel. But who does he choose? He chooses Mary. This outcast girl, this poor girl, maybe illiterate girl, who no one knew from the middle of nowhere, and he blesses her. But it's not about how great we think that we are. It's about how great God actually is, that he's so merciful. And I've been thinking about this as I've been reading through this song this week. I've been thinking about how, how God has just been so merciful to me. And many of you, you don't know who I once was, right? For me, all you know is what you see what, since we started this church. But I've been thinking about God's mercy in my life, taking a guy who was just a drunk, an addict, searching for the best high, a womanizer, just a pathetic excuse for a man, and he took me and he brought me to the place where I'm standing here and it's still, every time I walk up on the stage, it's humbling to the, be at this place that God would even just use me and allow me to be here. And I'm not even that great of a guy now, right? I mean, I can't stand myself sometimes. Talk to my wife and the staff team. They're like, yeah, not that great, right? But I'm not who I once was. It's the grace and the mercy of God. I still have ways to go, but God is so patient. He's so faithful. He's so loving. He's so merciful that he looks at us, even in our brokenness, in our sin, and he loves us. God has been so merciful with me, and he's been merciful with you. And this song just invites you to just pause and remember that. Reflect on the ways that God has been merciful to you. Now, all this talk with God's mercy, we need to understand something about this. All right, look at verse 50 again. Mary gives us this truth that God's mercy extends to who? To those who fear him. We're going to have to work on the call and response thing, okay? We're still working on that, okay? But to those who fear him. And so we should ask, okay, well, how are we to understand this, this fear? And it's really like this, okay? When the Bible uses fear, it does so in, in many different ways, okay? But the fear of which Mary describes here is a fear that's revealed in awe and fills the hearts of those who recognize God's righteousness, his holiness, and his love. It's the kind of fear that leads to reverence, that causes us to bow before him as king, and it moves people away from seeing God as fictional or trivial or just irrelevant, and it leads us to honor him as he truly is. Because it's ultimately about humility, and so I'll ask you that question, are you humble before God? Do you see God as holy and receive his words as a king's decree in your life? That as you, as you come to doxa, as you come to your, the church and you hear the Bible preached, and, or maybe you're in your quiet time and you're, and you're reading the Bible, which are God's words to you, do you hear those words in such a way like you're a little child obeying their parents? Is, is that your posture? I mean, it's a good question to consider especially in light of, of passages like Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But what? But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, this humility. God says the only way to have a Savior is to have humility. It's to have humility that leads you to admit your brokenness before God. And like a little child who just needs help, from their parents. You just come and you just say, I need your help. You're a merciful Savior. Do it. This is what it means. And God will rescue anyone who turns to him and is in need of him. But it starts with admitting our brokenness. So we have God who's Savior, who's holy, he's merciful, 
But Mary goes on to sing in verse 51 that he's also strong. Look at this. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, we know if you've read John's gospel, we know that God doesn't actually have an arm, right? If not, now you're one step closer to be a Bible trivia bowl champion, right? God does not have an arm because God is what? He's spirit. And so how do we understand this? I mean, okay, if God doesn't have an arm, like what are we to make of this? Guys, this is what theologians call an anthropomorphism. All right, and what that is, is really just the attribution of human likeness to the divine as an accommodation to us to help us understand God in our limited ability to understand him because we're so finite. We're created beings. All right, it's much in the same way that a child understands that their parents will protect them just by simply acknowledging the fact that their parents are bigger and stronger. This has given us in the same way to understand the same thing about God, that he's strong. It's kind of like this. Okay, so like, about a month or so ago, we were down on State Street, had the family, we were walking around different shops and had dinner, and then we were walking over to the, the, one of the parking garages, and it was dark, and, and Titus, little bow tie guy that was disengaged up here, okay, he, uh, he gets all freaked out and scared, and he starts crying and freaking out, and I love this, like Lily goes up to him and just goes, Titus, she grabbed him by the head, I'm like, I'm not sure where she got that, but she just, it was, it was awesome, Titus, don't you understand Daddy is huge, and he will lay the hammer down if anybody comes. <laughs> and I, like, literally was just, like, listening. I was like, yeah, I will, but where did you get that, <laughs> right? Like, it's got to be my wife. I certainly don't train my kids to say that, but it's kind of like that, all right? Mary is referencing the arm and the strength that God has demonstrated throughout the Old Testament to help save and love the people of Israel. You know, for example, in Exodus chapter 6, when God came to Moses and he tells him to go to Pharaoh, this powerful king in Egypt, who's holding the Israelites in slavery, he's killing them, they're, they're oppressed. He tells him, go before Pharaoh, and I want you just to say, let my people go. And so Moses goes, and God goes with him, and he undergirds him with strength, and he says this, listen, I will be with you and redeem you with what? An outstretched arm. It's a picture of strength and power, God's ability to do it. He's able and throughout the redemptive salvation history of the world, we see how the strength of God, guys, is ever-present to save and to rescue his people. In Exodus 15, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, right, is after the Red Sea crossing. God brings out the Israelites from slavery. He brings them through the Red Sea, and he saves all of his people. And Moses stands on the shore looking back towards Egypt, and he's screaming out. He's singing out another song in Exodus chapter 15, and he says, God is a man of war. He is a mighty warrior, and he's fighting for his kids. He's strong. And so God is revealed as, yes, this merciful Savior, but also simultaneously this mighty warrior, and they fit together so beautifully. But with all this, look back to our text, and we have to ask, what's being said of God's strength here? And this is a big thing for us to consider. Two things for you to know about the strength of God as a mighty warrior and a merciful Savior. Number one is this, verse 51 and 52. Take a look. God uses his strength to scatter the proud and to bring down the rulers. Most definitely, the Jews would have been thinking back to the Old Testament. They would have thought about men like Pharaoh, 
this proud man who scoffed and laughed at God and says, God, no, 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 I am God. I'm, I'm my ultimate authority. Everything revolves around me. I don't need that. And God comes in and he breaks him down. He scatters him. He brings him down to his knees as a ruler with the plagues to show him it's not about you. It's about me. I am God. I'm the savior. I'm the mighty warrior. I'm the merciful one. They would have thought about men like Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, this great and mighty king, he's standing in his palace in the book of Daniel. He's looking out at the kingdom that he built, and he's admiring what it is that he's done. And he starts to think of himself as much more than a man, but as God. And he tells people to pray to him and to worship him. In God, we get this picture that he chops him down like a tree. Now, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that we're not that different from those guys. And here's what I mean. Those guys were so focused on themselves. They were so proud before God. They started to think too much of themselves. They, it's the equivalent of us. Like Some of you guys, you, you just had your, your, your year-end review in your job, right? And you're like, I just sat there and the board of directors told me I, I am wonderful. And you know what? I am wonderful. And it's been great. And I'm not in the basement anymore. I got a promotion and I have a, I have a window and a mini fridge, right? And it's, it's great, right? And you, and you sit there, I got an extra zero at the end of my paycheck. And you start to think like, look, look what I'm building. This is amazing. I am doing really, really well. And you know what? It's all about me and I, I can keep building. And as you do this, as you get more and more zeros after your, your paycheck and, and you get more and more titles and you climb up in the building and all this stuff, you start to think, man, I don't really need anything else because I'm pretty self-sufficient. And you start to believe that it's all about you and it's not about Jesus. Some of you, that, that's your story right now. God opposes the proud. He scatters the proud. He brings down the rulers. That those who appear to be powerful in our world and have everything are oftentimes impotent and empty-handed before God because they don't see their need for anything. Pride will keep us from seeing our Savior. Because this is why poor, this is why the poor people in our world are most of the time more sensitive to God because they recognize their need. They know that they cannot provide everything for themselves. And they ask for help. This is why Paul writes what he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, there's not many of you who are strong and, and mighty and rich and noble. Why not? Because these are the very things that keep people from admitting their spiritual poverty and their need for God. God uses his strength to scatter the proud and to bring down the rulers. And I want you to hear this. This is very important. It's not because he's unkind, because he's completely merciful. He's a merciful savior. He's a mighty warrior. And he brings down the proud to show the world and them that they need a savior. It's all about the savior. This is where the singing starts. Now, the second thing we see about God's strength is this. Verse 53, God uses his strength to feed the humble and the hungry. And so we get this picture that proud, ruling, rich people who are not by nature very humble, they don't oftentimes have a sense of hunger and they don't seem that, think that they need anything. But then we get this picture of, of hungry people and humble people. This is to say that if you acknowledge God for who he is and recognize who you actually are, broken and sinful, and if you're humble enough to do that and to come before him and you're hungry enough to seek him, then he will lift you up by his strength and he will feed you 
in your hunger, that he will be your savior. And I want you to know this, that maybe you're in this position, you're like, I don't know if God can help my situation where I'm at right now. God is strong. His strong right arm should give you a picture of what he can do in your life. It's a reminder that he can bring you out of the depths of addiction. He can bring you out of the depths of despair. He can bring you out of all of that because he's strong. He's a mighty warrior and he will do that. If we just humble ourselves before God, he will lift us up by his strength. And so I'll ask you the question of this is, are you humble or are you proud? Because you just have to ask that. I mean, literally Christmas begs us to ask that question. And if you're proud, thinking you're self-sufficient and you don't need God, you're just not going to experience the mercy of God and you're not going to sing salvation like Mary. But if you're humble and you're hungry, God will lift you up. He will lift you up. And so I'll end with this, guys. Christmas is this time of year. That's like a song, isn't it? Maybe, I don't know. It sounded weird. It's this time of year, all right, that reminds us that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has the mission to help everyone sing in victory over sin and experience salvation like Mary is doing. And while we don't have the honor of giving birth to the Savior of the world, all you men, amen, right? We don't want any part of that, okay? We have the honor of being his kid, his child through faith. Guys, in all of these promises that Mary sings about, God being our Savior, God being merciful, God being a mighty warrior who fights for your life and your future, are ultimately for us to experience through faith in Jesus. They're yours, that we can have this, guys. This is exciting. This is the reason we celebrate. This is the reason we sing, right? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Why do we sing? For those of you who maybe grew up in the church, like this is just a thing, you're like, oh, it's just what you sing in church. I didn't grow up in the church, and so when I first started coming around, like I was just like, Christians are like peculiar people. Okay. I mean, we really are. If you're honest, we're really peculiar. Some of you more than others. Don't look around and point, okay? But... But we are. I mean, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but for me, not growing up in the church, I was reminded of like my time coming in, people would just erupt in song, and I was just more than a little weirded out, okay? Because I never had the experience of like hanging out with my dad or, or my friends and be like, you know what we should do right now? We should just sing a song, you know? Let's just, let's just sing a song. Let's get some guy up here in skinny jeans, and, and he'll just do a great job, right? <laughs> And it'll be so much fun. I never had that. I mean, maybe you guys do. That was not my story, okay? But why do we sing? We have a Savior who's merciful, and he's strong enough to save anyone, all people. This is Luke's big point in his whole gospel, is that Jesus is good news for all people, period, Regardless of where you're at financially, regardless of where you're at in your sin, regardless of your ethnicity and your beliefs, it's good news for all people. If we would just humble ourselves before him, he would lift us up by his strength and show us his love and his mercy and change things for every single one of us from now on. And we sing. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray and then we're going to sing. And just like you celebrate victories, this year it's been tough in Camp Randall, right? But just like you're in there, and you celebrate victories, and you lift your voice, and you lift your hands, and you just scream because you're so excited. This is what we do. We're going to do that to Jesus today to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, because now we see and we can sing. 
So we're going to raise our voices, we're going to raise our hands, and we're going to sing to this warrior king, this merciful Savior who's come, because there's hope and there's joy for every single one of us. Guys, this is ultimately what Christmas is all about. So pray with me. God, I'm, I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful that you gave us words about you to show us glimpses like this of just how good you are, how great you are, how merciful you are, how loving you are. That you confront us in our sin. You, you encourage us when, when we feel despair. You, you love us when we most need it. You're never changing. You're always good. And so, God, even as we, as we sit here and pray, Holy Spirit, would you just help that, those truths that we talked about, you being Savior and merciful and holy and strong, would you just take that from our head and just root it in our heart right now in such a way that it would flow out of us in song and worship and wonder and awe and praise that we could give you everything that you deserve because you've given everything to us. And let this Christmas just be an opportunity for us